everybody, Dave DeBow here. Welcome back to another exciting episode. And today we're talking with an old friend, Mr. John Simcoe. Nice so, yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've known John for a long time. He He's one of those lucky guys. He's maintained his youthful look and disposition, but he's definitely gained a lot of experience with real estate investing since we first met. And I think when we first crossed paths, John, you were on your first or second deal kind of thing. And then after that, you just kind of, you've, you've done amazing things with real estate investing over the years. You've seen the good, you've seen the bad, you've seen the ugly, you've been in great markets, you've been in crap markets, pretty much you name it. Um, you've, you've run the gamut when it comes to especially single family homes. There are millions of real estate investors out there, and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money, because here's your host, Dave Dubow. Glad to have you on the show. Welcome, my friend. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So always, for always folks that, that don't know your backstory very much, can you just give us kind of a quick little synopsis of what got you into real estate investing and then where that path has taken you over the last 15 years? So I first got into real estate investing because uh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It said, hey, go buy real estate. That was my first takeaway. Now, every time you read this book, and I'd encourage any of the listeners or viewers to, to take another look at it again, you'll get new takeaways. And after I read, I had the one property and I thought I'll read Rich Dad, Poor Dad again. And so I read it again and it really told me I needed a real estate business, not just a real estate investment. And it was by having that business and having some systems that can help make managing the real estate a lot easier. And that could be your way of uh, moving from the left quadrant, which is uh, working for someone else or working for yourself, to owning a business that works for you or having uh, your money work for you. So right. I thought I could transition by building a real estate business. So uh, what did that real estate business look like early on? And then what has it transitioned into? So it started out early on uh, with like a buy, fix, uh, and hold strategy. Uh, that was just something I got into with very little experience, very little training, and no mentorship. So I just went out there and, and bought a house because I thought it was a good deal. <laughs> um, luckily, not a lot of things went wrong. There wasn't a lot of hard knock lessons. Things worked out. Myself, I had a partner in it. We both made money. And I thought to myself, as I got smarter and had reread Rich Dad Poor Dad and started buying more books, buying courses to, to learn more. Uh, and as I read it, I realized what I had done was insanely risky already because it was active. It wasn't sold yet. It was still active. But I realized I owned a property in another city and I wasn't there to look after it. Right. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to find a strategy where I could have all the benefits that I liked about real estate um, and then get rid of some of the headaches and nightmares. And so that led me down a path uh, that took me to rent to own as a primary strategy. And that's what you've been doing mainly for the last 12, 13 years kind of thing? Yeah, ever since then, uh, I've done rent to owns in a number of different ways. There's not just one standard way. There's uh, typically a tenant first, 
where you find the best possible person for rent to own. They have a good backstory. They need a little bit of help and they can get the house in a couple of years. So that was one where we bought, we send them out looking, we buy them a great house. The people love the house. So it, it tends to have a high success ratio mm-hmm. and it works when the market's going up. Right. So you, so before. you were for many years in a, in a very, very hot market that then just kind of went cold very, very quickly as well. So maybe walk us through that. And how did that affect you when it came to, you know, the whole rent own strategy? Well, how it affected me is I had started building a bunch of tenant first rent to owns with the plan to quit my job and have, you know, the next two or three years kind of figured out where my income would be at and then just have to make more. So I just keep always keep ahead of myself a little bit. And as I know, I don't have a good work ethic. So I knew that I would do the work, but given all that free time of a couple of years, as you're still getting paid for what you did before. Yeah. And so I had quit my job on the basis that these were all going to come through and things would work out. And all of a sudden the market shifted. And so how, no how many one... years that had been kind of go, 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 and things were great before it shifted? About four, four really strong years. Yeah. So you and had some really good years and you, you turned over some properties in that time. You had a good track record with that strategy yeah. in that market. And then, then what happened? Well, then uh, the oil prices changed, the political government changed, whether that makes a big difference or not. Uh, we got to deal with it. And it suddenly became no longer a good idea to buy a property with with a higher than average interest because you're likely paying someone else. I'm borrowing mm-hmm. it from a person, a partner or a, or a lender. And so if I have to return it bigger and I can't sell the house for more, I all of a sudden had a problem. Yeah. And there was many months where I sat there and I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I hear actually, you, man. I've, I've been through a similar situation, maybe not on the scale that that you had it, but yeah, I I know how much it sucks when you're planning on that property going up, and then it stalls, or worse yet, it goes down, and then it's like, oh my god, you know, now what? Now you know. Even even though you've got an agreement, even though you've got a contract with your buyer to buy it at this at that certain price, if the bank ain't gonna mortgage it, give them a mortgage at that price, it's worthless, right? That that agreement's pretty much worthless. It can be, and we do some creative things to still get the house for people and still get paid, which is was just learned by doing. Um, but it suddenly didn't make sense. And during that time, I felt a lot of pressure, like the diamond under pressure. And I started thinking of all the different trainings I had taken, all the books I had read. I have many, many more than just this bookshelf behind me. Uh, And I thought of everything. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, I'm in business to help people. So if I can't help my lenders out, who else can I help? And I thought there's property owners who maybe Mm -hmm. bought a property uh, like in the last one or two years. And they got to pay realtor fees fees to sell it, and maybe it's gone down twenty or thirty grand. Right. And suddenly, they're taking a forty or fifty grand hit um, if they want to not have this house anymore. And so I came up with a sandwich rent to own. The seller acted as the lender; they had the product already. So even half of half of the time it takes to do a tenant first deal because you got to find money and you got to find a deal. Mm-hmm. In this one, I had all properties all over the place coming to me 
with uh, with some decent marketing and uh, and a little bit of education. And suddenly I had this inventory that all I had to do was find good, hardworking people who were well-deserving yeah, of tenant having buyers. them and, yeah. and just put them in. So it was, it was more about screening the tenant buyers. And uh, if things made sense and numbers looked decent, we, we weren't appreciating properties at that point. We were just, we were looking at the mortgage pay down that the seller experienced and how are they getting out of the property? So right. it, it was kind of like a reverse then going up, we were going down and looking at what we can save instead of what we can make. Very good. All right. So you made a go of that. One thing you became very, very good at, John, over the years was raising private capital. In fact, for for many years, I kind of put you up there as our poster boy of success when it comes to raising capital, especially private capital. And I'm I'm very honored that that we had a tiny little bit of something to do with with helping you out oh, with that. You got a big role in it. It was really helpful. Made a big and difference. so, so what are some of your biggest takeaways from that whole experience of bringing on joint venture partners, bringing on private partners? You know, looking back with good old twenty twenty hindsight, knowing what you know now, what if anything would you do differently moving ahead? Well, to do things differently, I would be a lot more careful. And so by that, when you're, when you're partnering with other people, so there came a time, as I just told you, I no longer needed to raise a bunch of capital for my local market. It mm-hmm. didn't mean I wasn't doing uh, other deals in other markets, which I was using that capital for, but I'd gotten so good at it from all the, from the teachings and the trainings and, and taking action and actually using them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did, like I wrote a newsletter and everything, it came out regularly. And so I had all these extra people from all the networking events and everywhere that, that, that I put myself in rooms where there'd be the right people. And then I kept in touch with them and I had more capital than I had deals. And that was like that years and years and years. Cause I didn't need them for my local market. Right. So I had this machine going. And so it became time to let's refer this money to other people who are in the industry who should know what they're doing and should be good stewards of this money and they can return it to these people. And when they do, maybe I'll be ready to work with it at that time. I just didn't have a use for it for it all at that moment. Right. That was the plan. Yeah. So um, at the time that we're recording this, um, you've come through kind of a painful experience with this, with, with partnering up with somebody that didn't quite work out the way that you're hoping it would. And, and due to confidentiality reasons and, and whatnot, we're we're not going to say any names or or things like that. But can you kind of walk us through what happened? Because it ties into this whole idea. You had a, all these investors lined up. You didn't have the deals for their money, but you knew other people who did have deals. So you started playing the matchmaker, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? So that's that's right. Okay. So besides, you know, doing your investor partner a favor and and your active investor friend a favor by connecting them was there you know supposed to be some profit margin in there for Mr. John Simcoe as well yes there was uh there was a reason why it costs money uh in the private sphere and it costs more than normal so i mean first you know if you're looking for capital go to a broker first go to private second mm-hmm. um but when it comes to private capital it costs money to have that list of lenders to have that newsletter that sends out to travel to different cities. Well, not just cost money. I mean, it's years and years and years of relationship building. That's what it really costs, right? So 
I have had people where it's taken me a decade and I'm actually calling them because I don't think they're going to give me anything. And one day they're like, I'm ready, John. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> Just because you stayed in front so, of them that whole time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and had some genuine reason to connect, right. Other than asking them for money. Right. Which, which is always good, but it's nice to bring up. So big picture wise, kind of walk us through this uh, lousy experience that you went through recently <laughs> and, and lessons learned from that, if you don't mind, John. So I went through quite a lousy experience because I had moved to a new city at the time and I was trying to network and I'd done some presentations at the local real estate club. So people knew who I was and what I did, uh, but it takes a little bit more than that. And so because I had extra capital partners, I decided I would trust a well-known uh, local real estate investor in that area and uh, and that I would refer some funds over to there. Mm -hmm. And so I did so before moving there so that I was starting to get some deal flow and action. And there's you know a reason when I move, there's already things going on uh, as just well as it takes time to wrap up things before moving. So I was right. taking time to make the transition. And so I got pieces of deals where I was a 20% passive partner because I found the capital for it. That okay. sounded like a good deal to me. Yeah. Minor finder, couple thousand dollar finder fee up front. That helps me keep nurturing these lenders. Like mm -hmm. I need, I do actually need a bit of that to be able to kind of grease the wheels, if you want to call it that. Or keep the lights um, on. <laughs> keep the lights on as well. Yeah. You need a little bit of it for both. Yeah. Uh, it pays for your systems when you have, when you have automations and other email things going, websites and marketing, and marketing. all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, and so money was lent out uh, through partners of mine, uh, friends of mine, family of mine. And it wasn't just one deal. There was several, there was, a, there was over five. Mm -hmm. And so some of the deals, I was a 50, 50 partner of a property, like a condo that was found, found all the RSP money to make a mortgage on it. It was purchased outright. There was actually cash back because it was purchased under value. Mm -hmm. The partner was to fix it up and get it rented out. Well, what your partner does, what you don't know, is goes and borrows $40,000 unsecured, pledges it against the same condo, and then sells the condo later on to another person, not repaying the promissory note mm -hmm. and not paying anything to the partner, which is me. So that's a problem when yeah, you think that, you have that'll, something. That'll don't. take a guy off. All right. So, yeah. so bottom line, without getting into blow-by-blow blow details of each deal, because you had a, a bunch of them on the go, what um, what kind of, because the whole thing really exploded. So what, what kind of culminated with all of this exploding? And then what was your response and the aftermath? And then lessons learned. So some of the lessons learned. Um, well, is, first of all, what what transposed that? What 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 caused so, the big explosion? What, what, what went on was was after after checking out a deal that was an award winning deal, uh, award winning setup for a rent to own deal using a lot of creativity, mm -hmm. and uh, and it had a bank account where deposits were to be saved. I went to check this bank account. The only role my same partner had in this transaction was to accept an e-transfer from the buyer and to send an e-transfer to the seller each month. So I stopped looking at the account. That was the that's that was the lesson learned. When I went to and then when monies were owed 
for other deals and other arrangements of finder's fee where a property was purchased for 260 and sold for over 499 I was to get a 30 grand piece for finding all $300,000 to close on that mm-hmm. and was never paid and so I started wondering you actually so all have these things all the start money, to snowball a little bit right received a little this money and you haven't paid me and now I check the bank accounts and other money is missing of $3,000 e-transfers, but I don't know where they're going, but the account's drained. There's five bucks left. Mm-hmm. We can hardly pay the account fees for the next month. Right. I go, something is going on wrong and my deal partner won't take my calls anymore, won't communicate with me. But I imagine says, you're hearing from, you're probably hearing from the the lenders that you had referred to them. Would, would that be fair to say? You're, you're starting to hear. Yeah, they're they're not getting paid. They're not getting their money back. Assets are being sold where there was unsecured money attached to them, mm-hmm. and the unsecured money is not getting paid back. And I'm just maybe getting a little referral fee for this. I'm not actually the guy pulling all the strings. It's not me who found the deal. Right. Right. All right. So, okay. So all of this stuff goes on. Obviously, you're having conversations, or you're you're trying to find out what's going on with your uh, your your active partner. Um, com- communications kind of break down. Then what did you do and and what were the consequences? Well, after a good year and a half of trying to work things out and communicate and receiving kind of a, a stalemate of an approach because it was don't communicate with me from the partner, talk to my lawyer without telling me who the lawyer is. So I defined that by emailing every firm in town because I, I didn't know who to talk to. When I figured out who it was, the lawyer said, I'm under instructions not to engage with you. <laughs> how do we How do we work something out? Yeah. And so after a lot of pressure, um, over $150,000 owing to me, over a million to the partners, hmm. goes completely missing. I decided enough was enough. And so I took to Facebook and I created a scammed by uh, group where I posted text messages, emails, documents to back up claims. Uh, and so, and then I invited all different investors to this group. And I knew that if it came time to shut it down, I could just delete the group and this would disappear. It's not in other places unless people shared it. That was my thinking at the time. And people needed to be warned. This wasn't even just a little bit of crookedness. I mean, there's a grow up in one of the houses and and they're supposed to get a cut of the crop. And I'm going, where when when did this happen? This is supposed to be a rent-to-own family in this house. Why is this house a grow-up now? Right. So all kinds of mistakes and problems. And so I blew things up in a big way. Um, rather than trying to bang my head against the wall of trying to go with a lawyer approach, and rather than getting the direct approach, because those weren't taking me anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Well, I uh, received some defamation letters to take comments down, of which I said, well, money's owed, and I'd like to settle up with that. We need to come up with a plan. Payments work. Lots has been owed for a long time, to which I was responded with, we're not aware of any agreements you have with said party. Showed the agreements. Oh, those agreements. uh, We don't want to engage with you. (laughs) And so ultimately... When you call somebody by their personal name online and you post things about them, whether it's good or bad, it can be considered defamation. Whether it's true or not true, 
it's defamation. Now, I want to say that everything I posted was truthful, should it ever come to the time to prove it. Mm-hmm. Now, we ended up settling outside of the court system because mm-hmm. I had caused enough damage to be equivalent to the money that was owed to me from the previous dealings. It's hard to quantify that. Um, yeah. You know, this person runs an event group and a, and obviously they suffered event losses. Of course, COVID lockdowns were on at the same time. Oh, heaven forbid that was caused by me. But, uh, you know, so it's what, just what I'm hearing here, John, is <laughs> that. Yeah. So, OK, so knowing what you know now, after this whole multi-year nightmare experience, not just for you, but for the private lenders that you referred to this, this people, this person, this group, um, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? Um, I would definitely encourage going the lawyer route and the court route and, uh, and doing that, um, as a better, well, well, even, even prior to that, let's say Uh, how how the deals were set up, how the monies were secured, how everything was kind of structured. What, what would you do differently there? Cause it sounds like, you know, if a lot of stuff was promissory notes, that's basically just a fancy IOU, right? So the promissory notes are not a great idea. I've encouraged people even throughout going through the ordeal, secure your money. You can, and some of them didn't do it in time. Properties were sold. They didn't get paid. There's mm-hmm. still ongoing litigations with this individual from other lenders because right. of this who have not taken in, and uh, settled in that sense. I would encourage if you have a deal, regardless of how small it is, um, using a separate bank account or a separate corporation per deal is a really good idea from a protection standpoint. I started doing that a little while ago, and even some of those other deals were done in separate corporations um i would also encourage watching things or having some degree of of a of a controller who can confirm if the tenant buyers deposit money that doesn't belong to anyone yet the tenant mm-hmm. buyer of a house can use that money to buy the house and only to buy the house then it's their money if they fail to buy the house then it's our money right but so until we won't get into details because that's rent owned that's a rent to own thing, ultimately it's money that shouldn't be played with, touched, moved around. So what I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm, what I'm hearing big lessons are number one, really make sure that you've got agreements registered on title versus promissory notes. So make sure you're, you're well secured on the title. Number two, make sure that you've got separate corporate structures, separate um, corporations for each deal, even if it's a small one, that just kind of simplifies things a lot more and separate bank accounts for each deal as well. And then keep on top of those things. So regular reporting, regular meetings between the active partner and the passive partners. And because you're kind of the guy, you were, you were the matchmaker, maybe that's, that's where you step in and you kind of take control of that and you make sure that you're babysitting everything to make sure it, it works properly. Am I missing anything or am I mad? I would think that that would help if the, the, the deal maker and the referrer could be in communication, then at least the guy doing the referring can report back to the lender. Everything's under control. If the lender wants to see something, they I think they should. 
the yeah. more transparency, the better. If something goes on, so you know, so that's that's where it's even more valuable. If instead of just getting a fee, a referral fee, if you're actually getting an equity stake in the deal, so you are one of the general partners in that particular operation. And so, that, so maybe that may give you the right to look at the bank statements. Maybe it yeah. doesn't give you the right to like touch the money or move it. Don't need to just need to make sure the people that are in charge are doing what they said they're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. And well, I'm and sorry that you went through that, my friend. The, and before the snowball gets too big, yeah. you want to catch this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that's a, that's a very, very lousy experience that you went through that you're, that your lenders that you referred to this this person or this group went through as well, um, yeah. Has that has that kind of soured you against doing these kind of things in the future, or are you just kind of going to learn? Uh, from- absolutely, absolutely, it has. Um, it has definitely soured me in a big way. If people have noticed, I haven't been raising a ton of capital lately. Not that I haven't, there was like a million bucks a couple of weeks ago that was raised, but that's all I need. I don't, didn't need any more and it was easy to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will be coming out in a bigger way in the near future to do some more deals. Um, and we are going to be transitioning towards some apartment buildings in the future. So there will be some opportunities. However, everything needs to be done with full transparency Everyone needs to have a right to see proper documentation and accounting and all of that. So yeah. it's uh, it's a big thing to be coming back to it. But also, I would be less into the referring of the unsecured type. I'm pretty much not doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and if you can get your security, and you know, if you're the lender and you're in that situation and you're you're going to lend insist upon some security. Yeah. I had a guy a couple weeks ago and I approached three different lenders and the third lender says, well, what security does this guy have? It sounds like a pretty, pretty slam dunk deal. And I said, it is pretty slam dunk or I wouldn't be talking to you about it. Cause you know, I want to be very careful. Yeah. And, and he says, well, does he have other security? I said, well, he's got a truck that's paid for. He goes, well, get him to throw it in. I said, okay. And the guy says, well, I don't, I don't want to throw my, I don't want to throw my truck in. This is slam dunk, John. I said, well, if it's slam dunk, throw your truck in. So he threw exactly. his truck in. And so we got extra security just in case. And you can't go wrong with that or get an inter alia mortgage on more than one asset. If they have that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you know what? These are the kind of things that we tend to go through that suck so much in the moment along the lines of uh, divorces and bankruptcies and all of these kind of shitty things that, uh, that some of us go through from time to time, especially the more that you're moving and you're shaking that it, it tends to happen. Seems, seems to happen a little bit more, but at the end of the day, if you learn a good lesson and you know what not to do next time around, uh, it ju- it just it really does make you a lot stronger and a much better investor in the long run. Would you agree with that, John? I would definitely agree. As I had a lot of thinking of, do I want to keep doing this or not? Yeah, it was going through soul searching going on. Yeah, I went. Yeah, and uh, and then and maybe this is just fitting because in the last couple of weeks I watched Rocky for the first time, 
And you've uh, never seen I, Rocky before. I'd never, I'd never seen it. And then I watched in the matter of two weeks, like all of them and the Creed movies. I was like, Oh my God, these are great. And if I could take a line from it, it's not about how hard you get knocked down. It's about how hard you get back up. And you know, all of these different things, you become a specialist. If I was to give up doing rent-ons, it'd be a shame to the industry because of all the experience I have. That is fantastic advice. All right, my friend, if our listeners, our viewers want to connect with you and find out more, what's the best thing for them to do? What would be the number one place or way for them to connect with John Simcoe? I'm uh, I'm rebuilding johnsimcoe.com. It's just going to be a newsletter sign up. Uh, We're not doing the same trainings I used to offer. I'm still doing some soul searching about whether or not I want to do that side of things, but I'm enjoying doing the deals. And if you want to hear about the deals, you can sign up. There will be a sign up there probably by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, John Simcoe, J-O-N-S-I-M-C-O-E.com or .ca. They both go to the same place. You can sign up there. I write the newsletter myself. I'll never use a, a chat GPT thing for that. It's always going to be directly from me to you. And you can reply to that newsletter at any time. And you're replying to me, not an assistant, not a virtual person, not a chat. Uh, you got me. And so I would love to connect with you and hear about your deals too. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. And thanks so much for for being so open to sharing, especially about such a painful experience. I, I really do appreciate it. And I think a lot of people will learn some good lessons from that. So keep up, keep up doing what you're doing, my friend. Thanks, Dave. See you later. All right, everybody, take care. and We'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by moneypartnerformula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me And let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.